All right. Hello and welcome to the At YouTube Podcast, episode number 75. I think I've got that right. Talking all things U2, album news, tour dates, and reviews of recently released albums, as the case may be, tonight. Part two or um, part three, part two, part B, I don't know what we're at. Uh, we're going to be talking about songs of experience again. So if the hour and, what did you say it was, Sherry? Uh, two, almost two hours of the previous episode wasn't enough for you. Plus the B-side we did, I guess, uh, a couple episodes back. If that wasn't enough for you, then we've got more. And there's probably more coming because the staff that you see would just want to talk about it and hopefully you want to listen to it. If not, skip ahead maybe to episode 77 <laughs> when that comes out in the future and we'll join up with you again there. But I've got on the uh, podcast this episode I have uh, to my left is Mr. Ian Ryan. Welcome back to the program, Ian. Thank you very much. And Chris, you're the best thing about us. <laughs> And Sherry, how how are you doing? Welcome back. Well, I'm making a spectacle of falling apart, so I, I guess we're doing okay. <laughs> We've got uh, oh, your husband says we're looking good on the TV as well. So yeah, he's, got he's it streaming piping it through. Yeah, yeah, we have one of those smart TVs because everything in the house is smart. So well, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> no, just kidding. You haven't met a, my dog yet, have you? Yeah, that was a <laughs> dig at your husband, not you. All right. Uh, <laughs> See if he'll talk passengers with you ever again. <laughs> All right. Uh, before we get to the uh, the roundtable, as it were, the review of the Songs of Experience, just in terms of some follow-up and some miscellaneous stuff that's happened since last we talked, uh, there's some new uh, tracks on Spotify. They've, U2's kind of in the promotional efforts for this album. They've kind of got the, got the divide and conquer uh, mentality going with uh, some tracks going to some new tracks going to Spotify, right? So the what's going on cover and the little things that give you away a remix. I haven't actually heard either of these. Have you guys heard? Are you Spotify folks? I uh, uh, tuned in very briefly ahead of the podcast this evening and, and did a quick listen. Um, uh, we've got something up on, on uh, bits and bites about it as well. Uh, what's going on? The Marvin Gaye song. Uh, goes back to, um, for you 2 going back to, I believe it's 2001, when uh, they did a cover that was supposed to raise funds for uh, a couple charities. And, and then when uh, No Doubt was opening for U2, uh, Gwen came out and sang the song with Bono as well. Um, so there is a bit of history there. And ironically, I was listening to the uh, what was it? The absolute radio interview with um, Adam that that posted recently, and Adam had said that uh, they were going back to the um, American music that they really enjoyed uh, for American Soul, uh, talking about uh, uh, Marvin Gaye about that. So it's kind of interesting to see the crossover, as as well as the fact that for 2017 and and at least in this country, we've all been asking that question: What's been going on? <laughs> So I think it was a appropriate uh, song for the times. But it's a modern. They would have recently recorded it, or is it? Do you think it's an older, yeah. older record? Okay, yeah. No, they so, um, they recorded that along with um, little things at a uh, at a studio in Neptune Valley um, uh, out, out so in California. It's, it's different from the charity single that they released. Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool. I had a chance so to it looks to like you have some. Some extra work on the lyrics page, Ian. Sorry to Yay. give you homework tonight. <laughs> yeah, please report to the principal in the morning. Uh, and uh, 
I, I'll just say for folks who haven't seen it yet, there, there's the, uh, what's it called? Liner notes, uh, video that's in Apple music, uh, as well. So if you don't subscribe to Apple music, you can't watch that one. Uh, unless you brilliant. find oh, ways. Oh my goodness. It is yeah. brilliant. It is so good. And that's what I was going to say is, uh, you, it's, that it's, it's worth finding ways to watch it. If you don't have ways to watch it, as I'll say, I don't, I don't know what that means, but <laughs> Well, it's, it's also internet. not helpful. Um, um, the liner notes for Songs of Experience harkens back to the good old days of propaganda where you had like like uh, a three-point font in a color that blended in with the background of the paper. So I'm getting older. Um, I don't know about a lot of other people, but with my astigmatism and with my vision, I could barely read the damn thing. So to be able to have Bono recite the liner notes with the uh, uh, with the visual provided by Matt Merhane, I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, it's it's breathtakingly wonderful. It's about nine nine minutes and forty six seconds, give or take, uh, and and it's time well spent. It's 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 a great experience to listen to Bono uh, uh, express his own liner notes. You know. Yeah. Yeah, with the music inter intermixing and uh, the visuals that go along with it, it's a it's a beautiful piece that it kind of makes you <laughs> you wonder like why don't they do a good music video like that? <laughs> but anyways, that's a whole other discussion for another episode. Nothing against some of the recent ones. I'm not uh, putting them down, but uh, well, anyways. thanks for me. I love when they do these kind of uh, multimedia things where um, it's like narration plus video or whatever. Uh, and they haven't done anything like this. It seems like since uh, a lot of the Vertigo stuff, and I mean, there were things that went along with Atomic Bong, but since then, we it feels like we haven't seen anything of this. So I love that they're doing this again and that they release such a damn good one. <laughs> yeah, that they were willing to put in the time and effort to produce it and let someone run with it and yeah. presumably either gave them the freedom or had the artistic or creative input to guide it to where it landed. However, whatever and, the process is like there, but. And whatever the mix is that they use on that clip of the showman, I hope they release that as like a remix single. Yeah. B side or whatever. It just sounds so cool. Yeah. It gives the song like, like it gives the song good new life, I guess that might mm -hmm. be needed for some folks who can't wrap their head around the showman. Otherwise, if that's you, we'll, we'll get into that later in the uh, podcast. But, uh, and then at Liren Hollick, we'll say said, uh, tweeted small correction. It's Haim <laughs> pronounced like hi, I'm hi, I'm I'm H I G H dash I am. How would you pronounce that? Hi, Haim. 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 Yeah, might be my Canadian accent. That's uh, anyways. Uh, correcting me on my pronunciation of it from the last episode or a couple of episodes ago, and she or they said uh, he said excellent. Go listen to them. Which yeah, based on Lights of Home, if nothing else. <laughs> if that's your first experience with Haim. Then uh, go check them out. So. Um, yeah, we're going to, like I said, in the beginning, we're going to cover, do another review from a few different perspectives here on songs of experience and, uh, running our way through tracks, all the tracks, including some of the bonus stuff on the deluxe edition. And I'll try and keep my comments to a minimum since I already had once one and a half almost, uh, goes at this, but I'm sure I'll interject here and there. And like I said last time, we're not, unlike previous album-by-album album, or song-by-song song discussions we've done of their albums, we're not going to be interjecting music just to not set off any alarm bells with U2's lawyers or 
uh, YouTube algorithms or wherever they happen to be watching and listening. So um, they just seem to be a little more litigious this time around, and uh, which I guess is understandable. They want to protect their music. But anyways, uh, first up, love is all we have left. So, oh, go ahead, well, Sherry. Technically, it's not first up, oh. and I wanted to um, toss this idea out there. Wait a minute. That's not the first song. Um, <laughs> I don't actually have the CD yet, so I don't even know. <laughs> Back, uh, Ian, when was it? About 1986, you um, two did Beautiful Ghost, Introduction to Songs of Experience, where they took yep. uh, Blake's intro and set it to music, and Bono sang the lyrics on that. Uh, it was from the poem Hear the Voice of the Bard that uh, opened up Songs of Experience. So just on a whim, my uh, uh, dear, dear husband had um, had put a beautiful ghost on before uh, playing songs of experience and what a missed opportunity for you two uh, with this album. They should have uh, uh, put this on as, as a hidden Easter egg at the start of the album uh, Mm -hmm. instead of putting an Easter egg on at the end. And I just wanted to see what your thoughts were about uh, uh, this particular track. And what I've always wondered with this track is, how much of it came from the actual Joshua Tree uh, outtakes and production and how much of it was create a re-release of the Joshua Tree or what was it? 20th, I guess at the time Um, it, I love it. I understand how it could influence you two at that time, especially uh, given just like what's what a, kick their lyrics had going from war to unforgettable fire and the Joshua tree. I mean, they just went to another level and I can see, you can see Bono's inspiration coming from the uh, poetry of Blake. And so I understand why they would relate the Joshua tree to the song, but I, yeah, I would be really interested in seeing how much of the music, how much of the performance was created in 87 and how much of it was uh, made or like fully flushed out in 2007. All right. Can we now go on to track one? Are we? (laughs) Sure, dad, let's do it. (laughs) Uh, So (laughs) are we there yet? Love is all we have left. Uh, Besides the segue you mentioned or the the ghost, I want to say ghost in the shell. What are you trying Beautiful ghost. Beautiful ghost. ghost. Thank you for asking me. Um, I'll just say, I know Ian, you're going to start us off here, but I love that they started an album with something other than just like an obvious rock song, I guess. So that's all I'll interject and then run away, Ian. Yeah, (laughs) I love that that they didn't start with a crowd thumper. Um, I mean, if they do start the show with this, it's going to be kind of ethereal and atmospheric rather than energetic and uh, like chanty. And I really do like that they did it this way. Uh, it, I mean, this is the first album since I guess, yeah. Be- uh, Beautiful day on all you can't leave behind where it wasn't, uh, it didn't have some sort of chant or some sort of uh, like thing where you could see they, really wanted the audience to follow along and throw their fists in the air and go along with it. It's, uh, it was, yeah, just such a wonderful experience to hear this be the start of the album 
And I know people have complained about uh, how there's the auto tune in it, but I mean, Bono used uh, vocal effects on other songs. Uh, Zoo Station starts off with him going through vocal effects. If if we can get around the idea that this is auto tune, it is just another vocal effect. And one of the other things I really like about it is how he refers to she. Um, now you're on the other end of the telescope, ten, seven billion stars in your eyes. Um, or excuse me, uh, seven billion stars in her eyes. And it, for me, it kind of ties back to the, uh, like, Lemon, she is the dreamer. She's imagination. Just, Bono seems to have two she's that he refers to. One is the mysterious uh, ways, kind of Holy Spirit she. But there's also this other kind of up on a pedestal she and this she that she can do things. And I think this is more in line with the, she is the dreamer. She is imagination. Uh, she, where it's just, is this person experiencing new things with all the potential in the world? And yeah, I love it. I love it. <laughs> How are you, Sherry? Uh, well, this is, you know, um, um, this song and 13 are the bookends. They are the two songs that, that don't directly, um, flow with the other 11 tracks on the album but without the bookends the album makes very little sense this um it's really interesting because the writing of the whole album almost feels you know like bono and edge's experience with doing the music for uh spider-man turn off the dark there is a a um a stage quality about this entire album there is a defined story there is a defined beginning middle and end even though there is immortality there really isn't any kind of an end and and you can get into a very esoteric uh conversation um which is part of the reason why in my uh very brief review uh that the staff gave um on on uh on ad about the album i said it is as good if not better than octung baby because there are so many different levels and it starts right here with that um with that auto tune it is it is specific um it is it is this it's that um it's it's that you know i'm not in reality anymore in Kansas anymore Toto type of deal and going back to the she I think <laughs> that is the protagonist you've got a little uh, of your own vocoder effect going on Sherry <laughs> just so <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> that you know you get you get this protagonist which you can assume to be Bono but it could be anybody standing at the pearly gates wanting to get in having the conversation and who's who has been that driving force in bono's life who's up in heaven well it's iris it's his mother there's a reason why the baseline in in um love is all we have left is similar to iris it's there's a reason why when you go into lights of home it calls back to iris there's a lot of that callback going on. And I also pointed out that there are no drums in this particular song. There's no heartbeat. Um, it's, it's like almost all soul. And, um, you know, you've got the abandoned child, uh, you know, baby cries at the doorstep, let me in, or, it, you know, it, 
it's it's so deep. It's not a it's not a a, a, a traditional album opener, but it sets the stage for the content for the for the next twelve tunes, and uh, it's it's a very powerful and deep song. Um, and it and it reminds me a little bit of of you know um, the window in the in the skies. Oh, can't you see what love has done? Well, love is all that we have left. If God is love. Um, then is that all that we have left when you're talking about immortality and and the other end of the of the um, telescope? That is the the most telling line about the you know seven billion stars. If you're on Earth looking up at the seven billion stars, but now you're up in the heavens looking down at the seven billion uh, souls on this planet, it's it's just it's just mind blowing. All right, that's the first song we. <laughs> I promise well, I, mean, I won't I mean, be as long about everything else. I just love that freaking song. Yeah, go ahead, Ian. It, that's but that's something I hadn't thought about because I mean both songs have she and I hadn't associated uh, "Love's All We Have Left" with Iris, but um, yeah, both songs refer to her or she when they're talking about his mom and. Because, yeah, the idea of looking through a telescope down at Earth and the 7 billion people on the planet, I mean, if he's referring to the, like, unnamed she, I mean, and it's not the Holy Spirit, it it totally makes sense that it's his mom. I mean, I've been thinking about that and trying to work it out, and that makes total sense. Yeah, it's almost like this, I feel, not, I don't know if I feel bad or it sounds not the right way to say it, but, like, to to listen to the album without any of the knowing i was saying this to to my wife the other day like if you don't know any of the the story the backstory the uh, even just you know the bono's health scare and stuff that they've referenced um but even that just any, any never minding that anything else about their story this album feels a little light and not like um just a lot of like love and light and whatever and sort of u 2 e in the positive sense and all that kind of stuff but um but, but if you know the history yeah oh you, my goodness yeah, a lot it more is depth chock than, full of goodness yeah all right, so uh, next song, number two, Lights of Home, Sherry. Well, well, Lights of Home. Are we talking about Cedarwood Road, his childhood home? Are we talking about Kalini, his current home? Are we talking about his heavenly home? It that that uh, 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 generality is um, what makes this song. And I know that in the last podcast, people you know thought that the album peaked too soon um this is one big song that starts off almost like a western you know you kind of expect the dust kicking up as you're as you're uh uh entering in you know saying i shouldn't be here because i should be dead you know it's a it's a good johnny cash uh, uh start with that steel guitar sound and all that but the minute I heard it, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the callback to Cedarwood Road. It's got the same guitar sound. And, of course, you're talking about the lights of home, which is kind of, you know, uh, duh. But then you get into, um, uh, you know, your if the eyes are the window to the soul, this is a soul-searching song. This is like the wanderer. This is like unknown caller. You know, hey, now, do you know my name? It, it goes back to unknown caller. Um, you've got the, the obvious callback to, um, Iris at the, at the end with the big angelic chorus, which, you know, going back to the first song, 
it's as if, you know, his mom's at the gate and he's saying, and she's saying, um, it's not your time yet, dear. Go back home. You know, this is, (laughs) we are not ready for you you yet. Um, uh, And it is, um, it's going to be a showstopper. Um, I totally expect this to take the place of Cedarwood Road in the um, in the experience set list for sure. Um, you know uh, uh, the, the what's the line here? Um, uh, uh, one more road you can't travel with a friend. You know, this is his his own journey, and nobody can can go there with him except for him. Right. I've always, whenever I've listened to, it, I sort of put it in the the heavenly sense of you know at the gates and about to, you know, um, if you can't tell me where I'm going, then yeah, that kind of stuff. And that's sort of the reference for me. But it's an interesting angle of yeah, his physical home, the house he goes to, that kind of stuff. How about you, Ian? What's your take on Lights of Home? Yeah, uh, for me, the idea of lights and home always makes me think of a sort of homecoming. And the idea of that song is a wounded soldier who ends up dying, but his his or her body gets brought home uh, so they can be buried where they came from. And with this one going off what we know about Bono having a health scare and in the notes he says he was arrested, which is maybe cardiac arrest or something like that, uh, It it feels like it's his a sort of homecoming. Like he's the one who saw lights in the distance and was maybe going home. Uh, and I really want to see what they do with it live because they had Bono walking down Cedarwood road uh, and the double-sided screen for the innocence and experience tour. So if this tour he's walking towards a light in the distance or the lights in her eyes or whatever it is, it it'll be another uh, opportunity for them to have him walking down the screen and showing just what it's capable of, but in a completely different context. Uh, this is one of the songs I'm looking forward the most to seeing live. And I love the the uh, uh, the temptation that's that's in there. I mean, it, this is this is like his decision: Do I stay or do I? go if i if i have a choice to stay at this home are you going to send me back down to kleine to alley you know the uh, line i saw a statue of a gold guitar you know the golden calf the golden cow the the big you know uh um do i do i want what's here do i want what i already know and that and that decision going going back and forth, which home do I want to go back to? Which is why, you know, after having such a heavy song like this, having You're the Best Thing About Me being being after it, you need that type of a song coming out of Lights of Home in order to regain your uh, uh, composure and uh, regain your surroundings. Right, which... Is a natural segue into track three. Uh, I'll just lead off with at uh, Jay Leonard five thirty tweeted, uh, which by the way you can tweet at the podcast using hashtag Ask at you two on Twitter, and we'll collect that and get it into the show in some form or another. But uh, they asked, why is the best mix of "You're the Best Thing About Me" the sci-fi soul mix, the one only one not commercially available? In my opinion, they second guessed themselves into putting the less interesting version on the album and. Uh, I forget what I said in the previous episode, so maybe I'll contradict myself as I go through this. <laughs> Nothing wrong with a little hypocrisy in, uh, in discussing you two. But um, 
I I think they went for the radio hits with this one or a radio friendly version anyways whether it's a hit or not is up to debate I guess but as opposed to putting the sci-fi soul mix on the on the album but it's a good it's a good point I think of of you know keeping with sort of like the more um heavenly sounding or whatever uh I don't have the mix in front of me right now or in my ears to to remember exactly all the differences but um to have I, I agree I remember liking that one more than what I heard at the time when it was released um and and now putting in the context of the album would be an interesting sort of mix to have in the in the space where it occupies so um but yeah anything from you folks about you're the best thing about you I will say I like how Sherry described it as kind of a sorbet to cleanse the palate after <laughs> Lights of Home. It's the one that like kind of like gets rid of all the flavors and allows you to start tasting things again. Uh, <laughs> I it, This album doesn't really have the single standout hit that the past few have either had or have tried to had, have. And I kind of think it's better for it. I do really like this song. And it's, I mean, it's catchy. I was humming it forever. Uh, but yeah, it's its not the just culture-grabbing song that A Beautiful Day or a Vertigo are. Uh, I do think I know, like, I mean, in my opinion at least, why the mix that came out is the official one rather than the sci-fi mix. I think the sci-fi mix's verses are a bit too uncatchy. They're not as smooth. I think the chorus of the sci-fi mix is where it really becomes awesome. I think they've put some, they've got some more harmonies in it or the harmonies that they have in it have been brought more to the fore so you can hear them better. And I think the choruses sound better, but the verses, yeah, I would say definitely don't sound as good as the single version. Go ahead, sure. It's, um, they needed a radio friendly, Song, and I'm not sure how many other songs that they have on here could could be universally played across a variety of different radio stations. Um, so to have this track be the lead single off of the album, um, as well as the one that um, that sits in the number three position on the album uh, seems like the best um, the best option I guess uh, if you if you think back you know the number three song on uh, pop was what mofo uh, number three song on Joshua tree was with or without you <laughs> so um, it's nice to have a a a, a lighter hearted song in the number three position on an album uh but you know thinking about the storytelling uh from track to track what's the one thing that could draw bono back home it's Allie. Mm -hmm. so if he's you know up in up in you know the uh the uh esotericness what can bring him back down to earth what what can pull him back and it's alley. So it's it after going from lights of home, it makes total sense to go to an alley song and it's not the first time that they do it on the album, which we'll get to later on in the discussion. And uh, at Ken, Ken Cunningham three, the third uh, asked, when do you think an alternative version of you're the best thing about me will be released? I'm not sure maybe uh, commercially he's talking about, cause obviously there are versions that are out there. Right. And so, do you know what he's asking? The, um, 
Well, they they uh, they released so many different versions of this song on almost a weekly basis, and I think that they did that in order to drive up the YouTube numbers <laughs> to get it charting, because mm-hmm. that's how they factor in charts nowadays. That it was it was almost you know comical to say, okay, is it going to be a video this week or is it going to be a new remix this week? <laughs> Um, so I think that they've, um, they've moved on from this particular track. So I don't know when, or, or maybe on a, on a future DVD of bonus material, we might see something like that. Yeah. In this day and age, it wouldn't be, it's pretty easy to throw it out, throw out a digital single of any type and just, you know, it's up on iTunes, Spotify, go play it, whatever. Um, they don't have to necessarily send out a actual CD or whatever printing and all that kind of stuff if they wanted to. So, um, but we'll see. Um, Track number four, get out of your own way. Um, and uh, I'll just repeat, I think <laughs> this is the weird part of being on this. Uh, but every time I listen to this song, um, and even my, this morning, my five year old daughter said when it was playing, I said that this is her favorite song on the album. And it's not my favorite song necessarily, but it's my favorite um, edge background vocal song, the O's that he sings in the background. I tweeted a little joke about it a couple of days ago, but the. When you were at McDonald's? Yeah, Wendy's. Or Wendy's actually, or think, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that Edge is just, I want Edge in the background wherever I'm going, singing those O's along with whatever's happening and the day will just instantly get better. So, um, and I think for me, the song has grown a lot in in just hearing it uh, in the different places, especially sort of the acoustic versions that they've done in the various promotional venues across this tour or pre, pre-tour tour, whatever we call that, promotional tour, um, has kind of like, uh, revealed what the song has in it, I guess, for me. So who wants to get out of, let me get out of my own way and stop talking. This is a, a the, um, the two songs, Get Out of Your Own Way and American Soul. This one is, is like a, a sing-along 60s flower child, you know, um, not exactly kumbaya, but it's it's like you know one of those uh, um, kind of peace, peace, love, and understanding kinds of songs, uh, uh, where you know everybody get a guitar and we'll all just sing along to it. Um, then when you juxtapose it with American Soul, with the '60s psychedelic Jimi Hendrix, uh, uh, Beatles esque uh, um, uh, tune. It's, I can't think of get out of your own way without including American soul. They are, they are two sides of the coin. Um, in my opinion, uh, Steve Stockman, um, on his soul surmise blog, uh, I think he published this today has a, has a really good write up with, um, his, his take on, um, get out of your own way. So I would highly recommend folks check that out. Um, but it's about resistance and resilience. That's the whole theme of this particular tune. Um, you know, you've got the, uh, uh, um, it's, it's um, your fight and to fight back. And, and uh, it's, it's just an inspirational tune that hopefully gets an earworm in, in somebody's head to, to just be humming it along along the way as they trip over themselves, as they try to get out of their own way. For me, it's probably the song that like represents the split personality of the album the most Yeah, because the, the first verse is very clearly about um, his daughters. I'm guessing it's his daughters and just how they need it. it 
it would help them to be tougher and it helps them like uh to have uh i don't how to phrase it less breakable hearts uh and then all the people they need to be careful of but then the second verse goes into uh, an analysis of what's happened to democracy in the west and uh how it needs to get back up and obviously that ties back into the blackout uh it's just he shifts from the first verse to the second verse talking about very clearly different things that both still need the same prescription for success or for recovery and it's also a song about free will um mm-hmm. you know you you get to the um um slaves are looking for someone to lead them the master's looking for someone to need him now now it's 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 easy to to pick that apart as the slave versus the master but i see that as the master meaning the big dude upstairs you know uh uh people need him in your life i see that as 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 more of a spiritual commentary than than one on pure slavery um that people because right after that you get to the promised land is there for those who need it the most um so it's he is intertwining um the uh, uh the uh, personal freedom with your free will to make your own determination to make your own way um so i thought that that was a a uh, interesting turn of lyric well i to me, that's pretty. I, I always personally think about the current American political situation when I hear of it. Of course, <laughs> talk about liberty getting a smack, and then Trump needing people to like listen to him just because he's so vainglorious. And uh, uh, is that the right word? I don't know. <laughs> um, and then I don't think it's a coincidence that he used the word slaves, given uh, how Black Lives Matter and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, I think it's all very much on purpose. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I like the song. I can't say it's my favorite on the album, but as, as with every song on this album, I don't skip any of them. And it's, there's always a YouTube album song on any album where I kind of just want to press skip. I don't necessarily do it, but I kind of want to this album. Yeah. I don't skip any of them. Yeah. That's Dang. how how I've been to um, thoughts on the Kendrick Lamar bridge or, or bridging of the two songs. I mean, like it's the outro uh, sort of spoken word rap at the end of this song into, uh, into American soul. And I, I think last episode I referenced how I wasn't sure maybe in a B side I did with the end, but the, how I wasn't sure if I wanted to have that there every time I heard the song and I can now say upon further reflection, <laughs> updating my review as it were um, that I, I like it. it. It's not something I'm, um, whatever bothered by or annoyed by it was it's just it's something different from a lot of u2 albums obviously to have a, a another artist that obviously you know in the mix right up front um prominent and and i think like matt had said somewhere um is a, like a beautiful bridge between these two songs and and helps almost connect them in a way so um but uh, your thoughts on american soul sherry um i had uh one of my tweets get um uh uh talked about on Sirius XM's volume channel uh, where I had said that the Kendrick Lamar bit is the stuff that Bono wanted to be able to say, but because of Bono's reputation, he might not be able to get away with it. So I think that the Kendrick Lamar bit is 
critical in linking these two tracks together. Um, so I, I, I'm going to struggle with them not putting these two together live because that bridge is, um, is, is an important one. The visuals that they used on Saturday Night Live for American Soul with the, uh, with the Kendrick bridge in between, I could totally see that on the big screen um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, for the concert. This is, to me, what I wanted out of this album. I wanted a hard rock and tune. I wanted something that, that harkens back to the fly. And I think this was the track uh, about a year and a half ago where uh, there was Edge and Jackknife Lee and Adam in a rehearsal space. And they played like 15 seconds of oh, uh, yeah. of the new tune. And I loved it then. And I was thrilled to um, have it back. And I'm not upset that it references back Volcano. But I wish that Volcano didn't exist because this is a far better song. <laughs> Um, so, uh, uh, you can send the hate mail to Tasula at, no, um, (laughs) (laughs) waiting for her to pop up here. Um, so, so you've got here, um, uh, you've got the hold on brother, John, uh, too many mothers weeping. You've got the link back to John Lennon. Um, but I'm also thinking that, you know, brother John, if you're thinking biblically, are you thinking about, John, um, uh, the, uh, the, um, disciple and, 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 and how in the first few verses of the book of John, he's talking about love and light, you know, um, you've got that type of a tie in, you get to the, um, uh, there's a moment in life where a soul can die, uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. When you believe the lie, I could totally see the fly believe with the big red lie in between popping up. So Good point. Yeah. So I can see there being a a uh, um, even like a small little medley going on with that. But yeah, the uh, Jimi Hendrix, the psychedelic guitar, all that stuff. This is one of my favorite songs on this album. Yeah, there's a bullet, the blue sky kind of edge to it as well. No, no pun intended. That would kind of lend itself to medley-ish or some sort of stuff or replacing both the blue sky and then sort of America rant or whatever. Well, I could see this leading into the whole refugee part of the, um, of the show. And I can, uh, uh, I did an article about the refugees of, um, songs of experience that at the heart of the album is three songs about refugees and this is the first one so i could see them going off on the whole refugeesus uh um imagery and then leading into the uh, uh changing of the hearts and the minds um which they have been doing now for the past few tours yeah i think um <laughs> sula in the chat is <laughs> i don't know what the emoji is or whatever that she sent but let's just say it's not repeatable on air maybe <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> Ian, what are your thoughts? <laughs> um, so, in my opinion, Kendrick Lamar is maybe the most important current American artist. To Pimp a Butterfly is possibly the best album of the past decade. And <laughs> to have him coming in and doing The Bridge, it's almost like a separate bonus song within the album. Uh, Kendrick 
is so good at talking about racial issues. He's so t- good about talking about social issues. He's so just he's so damn good. Um, and to have him there being the bridge from this f- fight back prescription and then going into American Soul, which is more of a, um, a diagnosis, it kind of feels like. And his like declarations uh, apply kind of equally relevantly to both sides of the situation. Um, I have no problem that it borrowed the chorus from uh, uh, or the bridge from Volcano, and that was basically from Glastonbury before that. I think it's fascinating to see how they created Glastonbury and then worked with Kendrick and made Volcano and how that all came together, all those different components formed into uh, uh, American Soul. And, I mean, from my mind, it's the best of all of them. They've just been refining this concept that they obviously couldn't let go of, and that just, or at least Bono couldn't let go of. It just stuck with them, and now they've experienced it like this. And, yeah, I love it. I, It's got that kind of military march feel to it that Larry is so good at. Yeah, it's very um, get-on-your-boots-like, isn't it? Yeah, it's get out in the streets and march in formation, for better or for worse. But it's 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 just got that beat that you want to march to. And I think the lyrics video is awesome. It's one of my favorite tracks on the album. By the way, I wish you two would sell the T-shirts with that American Soul logo. I would totally buy yeah. that. Yeah, that, it looks cool. Yeah, like uh, I'm trying to remember back to where I think Ian, you were maybe on the verdict or the... Uh how to dismantle the Vertigo album, anyways, and how to dismantle Tom of discussion, anyways, of of the sort of artwork and stuff. And I, it feels like they're reviving a bit of the interesting artwork and visuals and and mm-hmm. stuff. Probably you know inspired by the songs of experience, the tour followed just having the sort of visual extravaganza that they did with that, and uh, and sort of playing either themselves or letting whoever creatively is working on some of this stuff these days um, play with this and have a lot of fun. It seems like with it and creating yeah like all sorts of stuff that they could be merchandising if if larry was uh concerned at all about selling more t-shirts <laughs> back on his game yeah exactly. uh, I, instead of beach one, uh, beach towels and umbrellas you know come on <laughs> both are for protecting us from water He's, there's a theme here um but we'll get uh, to that later yeah <laughs> uh i do i know one of the big things about american soul that's like bugged people is the line you are rock and roll and it just it's i've heard people talk about like it's corny or just dumb i the way it ties in with volcano where volcano is about people discovering the power of music and discovering what rock and roll can do for someone and i mean i know rock and roll hasn't been the primary cultural music for about 20 years now but i mean when rock and roll clicks with somebody it can work wonders for them as an art form and when he touches back on the personal self-discovery that rock and roll gave him in volcano and then ties that into what rock and roll culturally has meant for america it i yeah i think it's an awesome choice of turning the phrase and uh having that same thing have two completely different points of reference that are equally valid and equally potent for a person yeah it's not only the country you are rock and roll but it's Mm -hmm. you and i and then you know but there is no them there's only us it's it's that collaboration 
Yeah, and I'll I won't repeat. I, I meant brought up the idea of like maybe it's time to move on to other countries and, and just say Canada would like a song, but uh, we'll. I'm sure Australia, including yeah. a tour. Australia, YouTube, New Zealand. Got to go to Australia. Would love a song. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> I guess New Zealand had uh, One Tree Hill, so they got they can't complain too much, and that's you know a fairly good song. <laughs> Anyways, the world needs more Canada. Bono said it, but uh, still has yet to write about it. Uh, all right, what next. Are they, what would it be called? Tim Hortons or <laughs> we got Miami. We've got, uh, yeah, there's New more York. to Canada than Tim, Tim Hortons, <laughs> but he's worked with Danny Lanois. He's worked with, uh, 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 you know, Leonard Cohen. Come on. You've got a whole bunch of Canadians who he's worked with. What's yeah. more important. Arcade fire was on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, summer of love track number six, the, uh, I, I don't, nobody took this one as a, a starting point and I, I'll at the risk of repeating myself too much. I, Love the track now. At first, I was very nervous hearing it. It just didn't feel like a, a song I could dig with you 2 And then I heard the connection to uh, One Republic and stuff and was like, it's kind of I'm fit. trying to get to the bottom of that, though. Yeah. Is I don't it? know if we'll ever hear the story. <laughs> but oh, uh, we finally found out what rock stars smell like. Now I'm on to this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Whose song oh, is it? Exactly. Yeah. So well, someday we might find out, but go ahead. This is what this is what producers do when when artists have parts of a song that they know could be a fully fledged song. They that's the role of the producer. The producer comes in and like sees how can I tie these things together, and if I mean this is entirely supposition on my part. It might be completely inaccurate, but if Tedder came in and saw that they were singing about Syria and talking about the idea of the different coasts and stuff like that, and he thought, and they haven't quite been able to make it into a full complete song yet. And he thought, well, I've got this song that where we talk about the West coast and it's got a hook. I mean, it, that's exactly Well, then he should producers- have gotten writer's credits. That's a, well, that's the problem. He, he is on video saying this is a new One Republic song. You've got One Republic performing it. It's and, and it's something where you know if if it. I know that this was talked about on the on the last podcast. You know, well, was it their song? Then they gave it to you too, or was it you two song? And they gave it back, and and they wanted it back, back and forth. Somebody should have gotten full writing credit besides Bono. Uh, uh, for for lyrics and you two for music because quite frankly it's 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 a collaborative song and what the one republic video was was almost you know the song that you two's claiming is theirs so i i would just especially after tedder had the issue with um halo with beyonce and all um kelly clarkson and and that whole shenanigan you would think that that there was a lesson learned there. So if it's U two song, then why would One Republic claim it's theirs? If it's a One Republic song, why would U two claim it's theirs? Well, but I mean, I'm not U two. This isn't the first time this has happened with them. I mean, Brian Eno was pretty irritated with them after all that you can't oh, yeah. came out because he thought that he and Lanois should have had co songwriting credits, and I think that's why they got co songwriting credits for No Line on the Horizon, even if they right. fundamentally hadn't contributed any more to the album than they had on previous albums they'd worked on. But I, we don't know what the details of their contracts are. I mean, maybe he was able to get better a better deal with whatever he negotiated as a producer. And I mean, yeah. it would be nice to kind of see all the details and everyone that is involved, but 
it's their business situation and it for me it's i mean it it makes the song like more interesting as a piece of curiosity but it doesn't affect the song itself at all for me and i will be happy to hear them play it live yeah because regardless it's a great hook and uh there's that little whatever riff on it and um and then it is a beautiful song. This will be a um, East Stage song, wouldn't it? I mean, you could totally see it on the on the East Stage. Yeah. Well, when they when they play it in New York, Brian, uh, Lady Gaga can come out and just start strutting around the stage in her heels and bikini again. Love. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be awesome. This It'll is awesome. this is There's the a, a the um, album. This is the album of of probably the most elongated vowels in <laughs> every single song, and this one in particular it's it's the it's the O song. You know, mm-hmm. there's a there's an I song, there's an E song. This is the O one. Yep. <laughs> All right, so we got to keep moving. We're going to keep tracking. Um, track number seven, Red Flag Day. Ian, your thoughts on uh, on this one? Yeah, this is probably the song that I hear in my head the most off the album it's for me it's kind of like vertigo but without the catering to be a single it's catchy it has an awesome hook it's about political stuff and personal stuff it's about refugees wanting to get out of uh syria and they're on the north african coast and they just want to get across the mediterranean and for me it's it's so much like vertigo uh but yeah, it, it wasn't designed to be a pop song. It was just designed to be a good song. And I'm not talking smack about Vertigo at all. <laughs> I love Vertigo, but it's this was just designed to be a good song that had uh, just a basic continuation of the story from Summer of Love. Um, and I was listening to a podcast a few days ago uh, from the New York Times, and one of the people talking on it um, was in the studio with you two about a year ago, and he said at the time... The lyric was baby get out of the water and with just the change in culture and the change in what their environment is, the whole song went from about from being about getting from somewhere dangerous to somewhere safe. And it's now about getting from somewhere dangerous to somewhere that's potentially more dangerous in the hopes of getting to somewhere safe. And I just I love stories like that where you can hear how their songs and their thinking about songs evolve. And I just like how it's a new wave sound about the new wave of refugees hitting the coasts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And any, any comments on the, uh, sorry, I just noticed maybe we dropped uh, the stream somewhere, but um, any comments on as far as just the sound of the, the tune, it, it has a bit of a old, older school sound or is it a new sound? I don't know, but like just the, uh, that idea of, um, it sounds like a, I think I said police song in the last episode. It's, for me, it was one of those ones where, I, I thought I wasn't going to, I thought it was going to be a skippable track or a track I was going to skip on repeated listenings. But I, yeah, like Ian said, I keep sort of humming the melody in my head. All of a sudden I can't even place it right at first. And then I recognize, oh yeah, actually I'm humming. <laughs> or well, thinking it's of that Flag combination. Day. It's that combination of two hearts beat as one and refugee. It's, it's, I can't not think of the war album with this particular track. It yep, takes exactly. me back to 1983. Yeah. Yep, couldn't yeah, agree more. It, it's, it's, it. I mean, it feels perfectly at home currently with the subject matter and where it's placed on the album. But at the same time, if they were playing the refugee and then led into this, it would sound com- 
completely natural and realistic. Apparently on Twitch, we went lost audio and video for a bit and then it went to a beer ad. So there's your, <laughs> I was just, I was just actually thinking about, I wonder how this song will play live if they play live and what it'll sound like. Yeah. Cause it does have like, it's a deep lyric, but a poppy, you know, not very uh, big sounding song. And, uh, and I'm just, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they actually play it live, whether they can pull it off and, you know, and, and give it. Yeah. Sort of I life. don't think we're going to see this one live. And I oh, think this will be the one. You stop. And I, and I, and I do believe this will be the one people will be getting up to get their beer for. Right. <laughs> heresy. Heresy. <laughs> Not Ian. He'll be giving everybody the stink eye as they walk past him if they play. You sit back down. <laughs> you sit back down. <laughs> you have GA. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Who told you you could leave? <laughs> All right. Speaking of telling people to leave during a song, the track eight is The Showman, a uh, little more better, which... Uh, as we talked about last episode, ticks off a few uh, linguists or <laughs> English grammar students. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it, a it's a song for fans. Of course, he's going to do something to piss off the fans <laughs> to get them talking. It's perfect. <laughs> Ian, any thoughts on the showman uh, uh, your, on your listings? From this is probably just like listener bias, and it probably plays out across all their albums. But it, there are two like really noticeable grammatical things on this album and a little more better. And you're the best thing, a boy. Yeah. And I've been told that in Ireland, it's normal to drop out. Uh, I don't know what part of the grammar it is, but the word about in situations like that. So if you say uh, you're the best thing, a boy, it sounds totally normal. I have relatives that live on in uh, Southeast England and they will drop out, um, the like the uh what is that the indirect object i think um so they'll say like i was in kitchen and i guess it's just a grammatical tick of right yeah i have to go to hospital that always throws me exactly um but like the only other time i can think of something like this was in uh uh a moment of surrender where he goes to the atm machine and it's just it's just redundant uh as far as the song goes it it kind of feels like a Kings of Leon song. It sounds like the sort of song that you would sing at a bar. Uh, and like, uh, maybe they were going for karaoke cred. I mean, if a bunch of people up on the stage going little more better. Um, and you can hear the sound of the crowd in the background. It's, I like it. I, like I said, there's no song on this album that I skip, but to my ears, it's probably the least necessary song on the album especially coming after how Bono described it as like a warning letter to fans. I thought it'd be something a bit more sinister and dark and creepy, but no, nah, it's just having a good time. You just got to be careful about it. one of the things I do like about the lyrics though, is when um, Bono puts the onus on the fans when they sing along that they're just encouraging it all. And he's, he's sharing the blame because he's such a generous guy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, the lightheartedness of it hides the fact that there is deep introspection and self-deprecation going on here. Um, you know, even, I love that he says, but you know that I know. You know, it, it's like we we read the blogs, even though I say I don't read the blogs. I, I know what you all are talking about. And you know that I know that I know that you know that you know that I know. And you know more about me than I know about me sometimes. That it's, it's just that banter um, that I can appreciate within it. 
Um, you know, the whole thing about the showman praise his heartache will chart. I mean, that's like saying every artist is a cannibal, you know, of, of course your, your experiences are going to chart. Crikey, look at Taylor Swift, all of her heartaches chart. So, you know, this is, this is something where, um, um, the first line Baby's crying because it's born to sing. It goes back to Magnificent. I was born, you know, I was born to sing for you. Everything's a song. We'll get later on in the in the album where where he's telling his kids to sing their song. Uh, you know, he's right at the day I was born to sing. So there's a there's the uh, the fun. Once again, this is another song I could see them out on the on the East stage uh, uh, doing and just getting everybody to sing along. It's, it's just a fun song, but it's a little deeper than people realize. Number nine, track nine is the little things that give you away. Ian, some, you have some thoughts on little things. Yeah. So when I like I said, in the B side, I think this is just a phenomenal improvement over the live version, the live version. I could really get into it in the second half. Once edge starts playing guitar, but I, the piano parts, they just lost me a little bit. And this, when you hear of Edge's guitar playing, and it just sounds so beautiful. I mean, it's, well, he just hits those like chimey, ethereal sounds sometimes that like, it reminds me of a pop song and just how, yeah, I don't, it's the atmosphere it creates. I really love it. Um, and recently, I, I think I was maybe in the liner notes, but I realized that it wasn't about like a jilted lover or someone who is betrayed by a family member. It's, Bono talking to himself. Yeah, it's, it's Bono talking to Paul. Yeah, it's innocence versus experience. It's uh, just the loud mouth um, on the stairs who didn't notice I was there because you were talking at me, not to me. You were high above the storm. And, but, and it's just, it's someone with the experience saying to someone with the innocence, I see what you're doing. I understand it, but it might bite you in the rear. The thing, the other thing that occurred to me was Bono's bullet, the blue sky rant on the innocence and experience tour, where it's Paul yelling at Bono. Like, have you forgotten who you are? Uh, do you see what you're doing? Do you see who you're hanging out with? And then this is the response to that. Uh, this is Bono lecturing Paul and, I just love how the two albums interplay with each other and how much the whole innocence and experience concept is intertwining and working with itself um, between the two albums and the tour and all the stuff associated with the releases. And it's also interesting to listen to this on, on the vinyl. I mean, I'm not an audiophile snob, (laughs) but listening to the vinyl as opposed to the CD or the stream, it's, it's so much better, <laughs> dare I say a little more better, <laughs> going um, going onto the vinyl. But the way that they broke the uh, uh, tracks up, um, the first side goes um, through American Soul. Then, then side two ends with little things that give you away. So you do have, you know, an album of uh or rather part of the album ending with the you know the end is here sometimes well then go and get vinyl number two and pop on um uh uh side side three or side one or whatever you want to call with that one um i loved this song live on joshua tree tour i thought it it 
it needed context within the realm of the album. Now that you've got that context with the storytelling that's going on, um, it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and I am so happy to have Landlady follow this particular one because once again, you're going from a very introspective song of 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 that inner battle between um, uh, Bono versus Paul now at this point to once again Allie coming in and breaking up the fight, you know. Uh, um, so you know that's our transition yeah. to the next track. <laughs> Which it's uh, going back to the, the what we we're talking about with the liner video and hearing. So I like uh, many YouTube fans, I'm sure, read the liner notes on on the CD or the digital copy, whatever you got it. Um, but uh, hearing the the Bono read it, the description of landlady, I think gave me a new, a renewed appreciation or a new appreciation for the song in a way that kind of helped me get over the the landlady as a lyric and a chorus or a song name. Um, but um, but yeah, and at U2 War 40 said, will the song Landlady be another one of U2 gems, U2's gems that will go unplayed live, which I don't know. I think I think this one has a, a potential to be on there somewhere, but maybe, I don't know, what your guys' thoughts on Landlady? I see it being performed live. I see him using this to to uh, uh, do another shout out to Allie um, in the same way that, that he sort of did it with... Uh, um, uh, uh, on the on the 2015 tour, uh, this is you know we're back on the other side of the telescope. So now we're hearkening back to track one. Uh, you know, uh, uh, where is it here? Landlady takes me up in the air. I go where I do not dare. Uh, Landlady shows me the stars up there. So. So it brings you back down to earth. She's got you back down to earth. You're looking back up at the stars. Um, and and I think that the whole line is the, she whispers, don't do, just be. That is the the gem of this entire song. Mm-hmm. Because I, Bono just does nothing but do, right? Yeah. I, I struggle with the rhyming space with space and the, the the few lines before that one. <laughs> it's better than the coffee is cold, but it'll get you through, yeah. you know, compromise. That's nothing new to you. <laughs> I don't know. At least those are two different words, but I get, <laughs> I get your, I get your point. Um, and then, yeah, whatever. That's just sometimes Bono throws those in just for fun. But um, yeah. And I, yeah, I, I think, like I said, I, it, it's, it's grown on me in a way that I, didn't I thought I would kind of be stuck on it as a just as a lyric and stuff, but Ian, how about you? No digs on electrical um, storms. It, it's not necessarily my favorite song in the album, but I can appreciate it as just a love note to his wife, and I love some of the poetry at the end. Uh, just I one of the lines that really uh, me was which one was it? Um, shoot, I'm just looking up the actual lyric, just. Uh, where did it go? It's it's the line about um, if the road was straight, it would be too long. And it's like referencing the fact that it's the difficulties and it's the curves in the road that can sometimes bring flavor to the relationship and make things work out. It's the shared struggle and how you both survive when you come through on the other end um, that can bring like value and personality to a relationship. And yeah, it's, 
I think this is probably Bono with his best lyrics since I don't know, like maybe even pop. It's I I liked a lot of the lyrics on uh uh not a small atomic bomb, but the the '90s was their high point for lyrics. But the song like this, it's just he's just written her a lovely, lovely poem and put it to music, and I think it, it's he did a superb job of beating that goal. I feel like the last 16 lines we shouldn't be privy to. Those are far too personal. Um, well, I almost that's never feel stopped him. <laughs> true, but it just. That is what you you want your partner to say about you. And if if you're a sentimentalist and you're not crying by the end of this song, then you've got to have your heart checked, in my opinion. Um, uh, the, the start of those um, 16 lines, every wave that broke me goes back to every breaking wave. So mm-hmm. I love the interplay of some of the other songs that he's written specifically about her being um, being used in this particular track. It's it's just such a lovely tune. Yeah, it's the journey, not the destination. Is always <laughs> uh, where are we here? Uh, number eleven, the blackout is uh, what follows. And uh, Ian, first thing I want to say is I will defend the rhymes in this song, like the name <laughs> rhymes, because. They're not necessary. They are there simply as to be playful. Because, uh, like, um, Flatland's back, Jack, um, and uh, should have opened. Earthquakes always happen when you're in bed, Fred. Yeah, but Fred, it, Ned, that, Zach, and Jack. Yeah, yeah, but the Ned and Fred don't need to be there. They're, they're just there to be playful. I also heard someone say that those are names that are referenced in Songs of Innocence and Experience by Blake, mm-hmm. and uh, so I think it it just adds a bit of the um, obvious influence that the band have taken from those poems to the song. As far as the song itself goes. I just I haven't gotten tired of it at all. I've, it was the first song we heard, and I've been listening to it as much as any song besides maybe um, Red Flag Day. And it, Adam's bass just is so good in it. Yeah. He just moves the song along, and it's it's a prime example of how when people talk bad about like their current work, they're better musicians than they've ever been. The way they play music and make music is just so much smoother than it's ever been. And I'm so happy that they're still a band and still making this sort of music. Uh, and yeah, making me think. <laughs> yeah. They haven't, the dinosaur is still walking the earth. Yep. <laughs> it doesn't know why. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how about you, Sherry? Any thoughts on the blackout? I see them opening the show with this. Uh, you had uh, uh, Miracle of Joey Ramone with the big light bulb uh, uh, lit, um, and 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 with the um, light bulb imagery at the start of Innocence. I could see them beginning with the blackout. I would love it if they started out inside the screen. And the screen lifted, and it's the four of them in their four different positions type of deal. But I know that that's a whole nother discussion. Um, this is one of those songs that can get everybody fist pumping, you know, uh, singing along. Um, 
and it's and and it uh, the whole notion of the lights going out um, as you're getting through this this journey that that nobody else can be on with you on on this you know retelling of your life at the pearly gates type of deal that um, you know you don't know when those lights are going to go out you don't know uh, what will happen. So to have this be this deep into the album is is also an interesting way of the storytelling where you're not quite done yet, um, and it's and uh, you know the um, go go easy on me, brother. You know, please don't make the wrong decision type of deal. It's 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 a song that I liked from the very beginning. It's a song that I will crank in the car. And it's going to be one that will get the entire arena pumping. One other thing that um, I'll talk about later with another song, but I like to compare this song with the lyrics of Love is Blindness. Oh, Love yeah. is Blindness is about not being able to see and not wanting to see. This song is about being in the darkness, but learning how to see. And I think there's another song coming up that we're going to talk about that I think is a better example of this, but there's a lot of contrast between this album and not just songs of experience, but Octane Baby and the ideas that are hit upon. And I think if it doesn't show what different people, the band members are, at least shows how Bono has grown and how much of a different person he is than he used to be. Um, But yeah, we'll talk more about that later. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, it's the idea of very specifically saying you are learning how to see even when you can't versus you don't want to see you're actively not seeing. I, I don't think that can be ignored. Well, you, you don't need eyes to see, but you need vision, right? Let's keep moving. So number 12 is love is bigger than anything in its way. Ian. So uh, this is probably the simplest song on the album. It's the lyrics are just so simple, but at the same time, it's one of the songs I've pondered the most. And probably after red flag day, it's probably the song I hear myself singing the most. Um, there's, there's just so much I want to hit on it. So one of the things that this album has made me think about is how the lyrics for no line on the horizon kind of feel like a rehearsal for the lyrics of this album. Just when Bono singing out, getting out of uh, getting out from under the bed on stand-up comedy, it's, it's him talking about not being self-absorbed and stuff like that. But when he's singing, get out from under the bed on this album, he's singing about, Hey, you had a health scare. You can't stay in bed forever. In order to recover, you actually need to get out. It's taking the conceptual, playful lyric from the line and making it into a real-life lesson to be taken from this album. Uh, when Bono is screaming, let me in the sound um, on No Line on the Horizon in Get on Your Boots and Fez, uh, it's... It's 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 supposed to be like a call to the music or stuff like that. But this song is genuinely make a joyful noise unto the Lord. This song is about singing for the joy of sound and song and making your life into a song. And the lyrics are really simple in the way he conveys it. But if you just want to take it, it's, it's basic, most sincere meaning. It's just an awesome idea. Just 
um, carpenters, but it's there. And then uh, the other thing, it's, this song to me is it. So if if our assumptions are correct, and he did have a health scare, some sort of heart problem, or whatever goes going off the liner notes and what he has said in interviews, this song sounds to me like it's the lesson that he learned from it. Just be yourself, sing yourself. Uh, that the bridge where let's see, what does he say? Um, yeah, the if the moonlight caught you crying, that yeah, caught you crying on Kilani Bay. Just sing your song, let your song be sung. Um, if you listen to the words that the silence say, um, you think you're done, you've just begun. It's it's the lesson he took from however close to death he got and just he's taking it back with it and he's just saying make a joyful noise uh for me if all that you can't leave behind is about the death of your parents this is a song about your death and bono was able to dodge that a bit and this is what we're getting from it it is that unbridled optimism and positivity i think that kind of infuses this song in a way that makes it hard to ignore again as long as you're able to give you to the ability to be you too and have a positive outlook, optimistic outlook on life and not be so cynical that you think the world is terrible and nothing good can come of it, I guess. So there's my two cents. You you've got, um, soon, you know, sing, sing yourself. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember song everything because it's so, it's so, uh, and drum. Yeah, you know, so so once again, sing yourself. This one, I I, I kept thinking of um, uh, surrender from from the War album. Papa, sing my sing my sing my song. You know, uh, uh, at the at the end, and then and then here here's Papa telling the kids sing your song. You know, um, it's once again, it's that back and forth which. I, I just love the depth of it all. Going back to No Line on the Horizon, I was just thinking about it. Breathe, where he's singing, sing your heart, sing your, it's, it, give yeah. me a, a sound, give me a sound. Um, yeah. It's just all these ideas that were touched on in No Line on the Horizon that it feels like he actually found an application for with this album. Well, your life to him is your song. And for, mm-hmm. and for Bono, Bono's life has been singing i mean bono vox good good voice mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so you know he's 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 using song interchangeably um through throughout all of this and i mean the band has traditionally said live is where we live mm-hmm. well you know you're you're doing your song live speaking of 13 tracks 13 is the 13th track on the album there's a light. Um, Sherry, you want to lead us off on this one? Yeah, this is the bookend to close out the uh, the main part of the album. Um, you've got the the obvious callback to um, song song for someone, but this for me, I have yet to get through the this song without crying. I've yet to do it, and I've listened to this album nonstop since it came out. Uh, um, on December 1st. Um, it encapsulates the journey that he's been on at the end, you know, with all that darkness. Um, uh, uh, you follow 
YouTube's, you know, uh, uh, story biblically, that light, you, you, you have to hold on to your faith. And Bono has said that in the, um, in the years he had his own personal apocalypse, he had his own question of faith. And this is his, you know, coming around and saying, um, I might've almost lost it, but I didn't lose it. And, and, and you can't lose it. Um, 13 is is also an interesting number because that was the age um, uh, right before he had lost his his mom. I think about our friend Beth, uh, who finally met Bono, and he wrote in her uh, Octung Baby liner notes, stay 13, um, because that's the age of innocence type of deal. So... Uh, um, the significance of that number and the significance of it being the 13th track on the album as well. Um, there's a lot more to it than just, you know, it just being a number. Yeah. I hadn't connected the, the age parts thing too, which is just, uh, just, yeah. Yeah. That's the age of your innocence before he lost his innocence. He was 13. Yeah. yeah. I like the use of that chorus so much more in 13 than I do in song for someone. Uh, it's just, it, it, it didn't. I don't want to say it didn't feel sincere in song for someone, but it just feels so much more sincere in uh, thirteen. It's, and I don't know if that speaks well or ill because song for someone is a song about Ali slash one of his sons slash whoever. But this song is he's singing it to himself. This is a song for someone like me. And I, I guess you could apply that to his sons if he, or his children if he expects them to grow up in a similar situation. But it's, it's turning it back on himself and like giving himself some lessons. And there's just something about it that just makes it feel just, yeah, it, it definitely affects me a heck of a lot more than Song for Someone. But at the same time, I'm glad they're both in existence as contrasts to each other. And if you use the word song and life interchangeably, because, you know, I was born, I was born to sing for you going Mm -hmm. back to magnificent. If you were given the song, you were given Mm -hmm. your life and, and for it to say the song for someone like me, this life was for me. This Mm -hmm. was what I was given. Um, It's that ultimate aha moment. And interesting little YouTube, Trivia, if you search on Google for U2 lyric and then the number 13, the one of the first results is uh, all I want is you on U2.com because oh. the URL is U2.com slash lyrics slash 13 for some reason, I think, mm-hmm. maybe in whatever their CMS it's coming up. So just throw that in the conspiracy pile for why it's coming up that way and what they did. I'm sure Bono had something to do with that. And uh, <laughs> Alphabetically, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think as a as an album complete, if you don't count the deluxe version, but just the original album as it as God God intended it or whatever, um, the thirteen ending I think is perfect, and um, and you could happily be complete, I guess, with that. the The deluxe version includes uh, "Ordinary Love." Uh, the uh, I don't have the which version of it it's called, but uh, in front of me, but um, that included. So I don't know if there's anything worth mentioning there other than. U2 seems to like that song and wants to keep it, <laughs> keep referencing it. Um, but is there a connection there that you think, uh, aside from love obviously being a thing and, and what 
what they're sort of referring to and why they've included it. Well, it's the extraordinary mix that made it onto the album. Right. Um, I think that they wanted it to have a home somewhere because that was uh, the track for the Mandela um, film. And it was good enough for um, for use in this particular way. Uh, but I also think that if this is an album about love and light, um, life is all about finding uh, peace with the ordinary in your life. So I think that um, if if there was ever an album to put it on, this would be it. Book of Your Heart is track 14. Um, Ian, are you, uh, there's been a lot of fans loving Slash and then the other side is hating, or not hating, I don't know what they're, they're not liking anyways, the this, this song as much. Where where do you land? Can, can I actually take a time out and go back to something that we talked about earlier? <laughs> sure. Sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to disrupt the flow. <laughs> Beth Nabby, posted a poll uh, where she said love is, and then the options were like love is blindness, um, love is bigger than any, than, it's bigger than us, uh, love is bigger than anything in its way. And just going back to the earlier um, uh, love is blindness versus the blackout reference, it's, this album is such a contrast to where they were in the 90s because love is bigger, it's bigger than us, but love is not what you're thinking of versus love is all we have left. It's back then the lyric like allows room for hate or for distrust or whatever, but love is all we have left means love is the only thing that we've still got. It just, again, speaks to the uh, change in the band. And I apologize. I should have remembered to mention that earlier. <laughs> That's to book of your heart. I like this song cause it's kind of creepy. Um, it's like uh, the book of your heart, one tiny mark an entry in the book of your heart. It's written on skin. Um, and I like the like the book of your heart where, I mean, you make an entry into a book like you would a diary, but if you make an entry into a heart, you wound it, you hurt it, um, and it's just a tiny little pinprick. Uh, and just the way he says, this is our wedding day, it just sounds creepy. Like, this is not a good wedding. This is not something that should necessarily be happening. Um, the long descriptive passages. Yeah, I know where we don't know what to say. Uh, I I I like it just because it's it's a little off. It's a little, I don't. It's not quite sinister, but there's just something not quite right about it. It kind of feels to me like uh, deep in the heart. Deep in the heart, yes, has always felt like it, it. There's a bit of a menace to that song. Same with like disappearing act. These songs have a menace to them that doesn't show up in much in U2. And so it feels a bit off coming from them. But at the same time, I love it when they do it, just because it does make them a much more well-rounded fully fleshed out act yeah there's a darkness to it that isn't there on the rest of the album almost uh yeah an edge as it were <laughs> except One edge tiny. probably isn't very prevalent in that song um all right and finally well not finally but finally for me anyways on the version i listened to <laughs> is uh lights of home the saint peter's string version uh nobody picked this as a jumping out obviously the song itself is the same but the strings uh is a string heavy version. And, uh, it reminds me a lot of the, what's the Radiohead song? Um, burn the witch. Yes. Burn the witch. Thank you. Um, has that same kind of urgency that the strings give it that was on that. I think you could probably line those two up and have a pretty close match there, but, um, any extra comments on the St. Peter's string version of lights of home? It feels like this is the version that should be reserved for special occasions. Like when they'd have the full orchestra for original of the species, uh, this is the version where if they have to do some like 
gala or some special recorded performance of the song, this is the version they should play. Which allegedly they did play it with the BBC orchestra that's coming out in whatever that is next week, I think it is. That's going to be on the BBC anyways in the UK. So yeah, my hopes are that they did that full on, not just, I don't know when they have the time to like work out how that's going to actually play with a full orchestra and when they fit that into their schedule. But I'm glad they did based on the little preview we got of All I Want Is You. Um, But yeah, I hope it's as good and has as much energy and will give us a little bit of a hint maybe of the live performance that we'll see on tour with with this song. But uh, Jerry, any thoughts on Lights of Home? Uh, Well, just that that, uh, we... Uh, we as in the collective we, there's a, uh, you know, the St. Peter's strings. Well, well, is that St. Peter's Basilica? Is that St. Peter? I, I think, um, and a few others agree with me on this, uh, that it's this, you know, the pearly gates that, that you're meeting St. Saint, Saint Peter at the pearly gates. And, and that's sort of the, uh, the uh, way of, of, of saying that's the, that's the home that I'm talking about in this particular song, um, and I and I will gladly allow uh, uh, Bono to tell me that I'm wrong on that <laughs> if he decides to come onto the podcast someday. Um, one other thing that I forgot to mention about Thirteen, um, if <laughs> if you noticed, the song starts without drums, but by the by the time the second uh, uh, verse begins, you've got the slight drumming coming back. And as the song continues, that drum beat gets more strong and it's that heartbeat coming back. It's the, it's the re it's the re-entry back, back into life. Um, that's how I've taken it to be. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, but that makes perfect sense. And that's what we'll close on. Maybe um, we're not, we'll, or sorry, does somebody want to mention the Kygo remix? I'm not, I don't want to, be completely dismissive, but someone wrote. I no. love it, and I want the Kygo three mix uh, uh, live in 2018. <laughs> we'll see you at the rave. Um, <laughs> the the uh, I what I in closing maybe for this episode the 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 thoughts and the depth of analysis that either puts you off some of this kind of discussion or you really love this kind of discussion. But uh, I would love to know how much of it is a in the same way that other bands, you overanalyze stuff with Led Zeppelin or what's this doing here and why is this on this album and all that kind of stuff and on this album cover and all the, the kind of things like that, whereas a band, how much of that is intentional and how much of it was a happy accident, how much of it was divinely inspired or whatever. And uh, and just to be able to put, <laughs> put this to Edge or Bono and say, okay, listen to this episode and tell us, like, are you legitimately putting all this depth and thought into it is it someone else helping you sort of connect all the dots like gavin friday or whatever along the way or um yeah was it a happy accident and i i like to think it's somewhere in the middle of all of that where there's legitimate plans on stuff there's some stuff that kind of just worked out really well like the heartbeat thing like you're just saying sherry like that could be very intentional or it could just be the way the songs kind of lined up and, and then we read into it way more than, <laughs> than they ever intended because maybe it was just ryan tedder was trying to finish the mix and He's like, oh, like drums will be good. Let's put some drums on. But um, that's what I, I hope folks love about a podcast like this. If you're listening to a podcast about you two, um, hopefully you love going a bit deeper and, and thinking and giving them maybe more mythology than they deserve sometimes, but also learning some new stuff about their mythology. So um, any closing thoughts on 
songs of experience before we wrap up? I think I said it last time, but it's, I don't know that it's going to be ever my favorite album or even maybe one of my top three favorite albums, but as far as their important albums, the albums that are just their massive touchstones, um, for me, it is going to be Joshua Tree, Octoon Baby, All That You Can't Leave Behind, Songs of Experience. This, there's so much to digest of this album, and it's it hasn't been a research. It's for them at the same level that like Octoon Baby or All That You Can't Leave Behind was, but it's... It, it it feels like they're running at full steam again. And I really, yeah. really enjoy that feeling. Sherry? It's their finest work since Octung Baby. And on any given day, I think it's better than Octung Baby. So I look forward to seeing everybody in 2018 and uh, having that uh, that debate. I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to uh, having that chat with people. Get yeah. that on a t-shirt and wear that to the concert. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> see what happens. It makes me in- excited or interested to see if they do some sort of anniversary thing around Actung. And because I would love to see the level of production quality and stuff. Not that Actung, Actung sounded great for the time, but to have some of the extra production value that has gone into this record, you know, revisiting Actung now would be a lot of fun, I think. But um, Kyle, uh, dog burp, sorry, uh, in chat says, I don't think that matters in regards to the art, uh, intentionality or not. Music and art is interpretive and subjective. The meaning we get from it is way more important than the meaning they intended, which I think is a great way of, of closing and summing up um, all that we have talked about. And uh, I'm, for one, I'm going to go back and listen to No Line on the Horizon, thanks to Ian, which I haven't, I don't think I've listened to in a long time. So um, that'll be my, my self-assigned homework. And uh, we'll be back on the podcast. There'll be one more review of sorts it'll be with some different folks you haven't heard yet different accents you haven't heard yet (laughs) on reviewing songs of experience and uh that'll be the next episode and then one more before the year closes out i think is sort of the plan we're going to do a little bit of a christmas uh party holiday at u2 holiday party eggnog provided (laughs) sort of um as long as you bring it and uh discussing the year that was in in u2 in 2017 and uh things to look forward to in the new year so uh ian where can they folks find you if they want to disagree or not with you on uh, twitter about songs of experience i'm at ian p uh just the letter not fully spelled out um ian p ryan <laughs> and sherry how are you at you too com sherry as always <laughs> And I'm I, Chris, on Twitter. And uh, yeah, you can follow uh, at U2, twitter.com slash ATU2, facebook.com slash ATU2.com, instagram.com slash ATU2.com, and of course, ATU2.com is the website. And uh, thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll see you again next time. If you feel like you're so inclined on the iTunes store or the Google Play store, wherever you happen to be in the world that you're listening to this podcast, you want to give us a rating, a review, helps get the word out about the show. Um, our biggest competition, I think, is that other YouTube show, <laughs> You Talking YouTube to Me, which is somewhere way above us in terms of downloads. And we're not, it's not a competition really, but... Um, They're which, famous uh, actors. We're just volunteers and soccer moms. Come on now. Chris, so, if we maybe diverge them to more little mini shows throughout these podcasts, maybe we'd do better. <laughs> you mean two-hour epic operas about an album <laughs> aren't what the people want <laughs> yes we'll, we'll we'll have to come up with our own shtick that way but anyways 
feel free to throw us a rating or review in wherever you have to listen to podcasts. It would be much appreciated. It helps get the word out about the show and share with your friends, share with your family. And uh, thank you for listening. You have a great day. Bye.